Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Today's guest was a was formerly a firefighter, a, par, a firefighter paramedic, and hazardous materials technician. Uh, he got started in HR as a talent acquisition specialist for Princess Cruise Lines, and in fact worked on the Diamond Princess, uh, which I'm sure many of you will recognize from the news. Um, he moved to Remote Medical International as its first HRBP, and then moved into tech as an HRBP for engineering at DocuSign, uh, and then switched to support engineering and product as the director, HRBP at Datto. Is it Datto or Dato? Datto. Got Datto. it right. First try, and then I had to second guess myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, Keller, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about something uh, that you call the medics method. Um, it's an approach towards HR. So I think before we jump into there, um, I just have to ask what led you away from being, you know, a hazardous material technician and firefighter paramedic towards going into HR. Kind of a kind of an interesting move. Yeah, I, I've always told everyone that I was looking for a more adventurous career, so I decided to get into HR, and uh, <laughs> it, it was an interesting transition. What I had found is I had a very unique role at Princess Cruise Lines where I was a medic for them because, as we've seen in the news recently, every cruise ship has a medical center, and I was a medic for them for just a couple months, Ooh. and I had this opportunity come up in a for a corporate position where they said, we are looking for a talent acquisition specialist to recruit clinical staff around the world for us to, or to have a work on the ship. And so I, I jumped to the opportunity, had never really been in recruiting before. Uh, so I figured I'd give it a try and just immediately fell in love with talent acquisition and found that there was great growth opportunity. And it happened to be in an area that I love uh, on the HR side. And so I decided to uh, burn all the boats as it were. And I let all of my medical licenses lapse. So I didn't have a plan B and I went all into HR. So that's very interesting. Um, I, you know, firefighting, um, paramedics, hazardous material technicians, these are notoriously challenging jobs. And many of our audience would say that HR is notoriously challenging. Did it help prepare you for this role? Absolutely. And when I spoke at Disrupt HR, some of the things that I drew parallels to were our days are traditionally never the same. When you're a medic and you show up for work, you come prepared for anything and everything. And when people call 911, it, uh, you may not have the ultimate solution to the issues that they're facing, but it is your problem to help solve. And I think HR has a very similar role. We have to come prepared every day for all sorts of different issues, both very serious and very lighthearted, but we have to help the business address and solve some of those challenges. That's a good answer. Um, so why don't you tell us about uh, the, the so-called medics method? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So this is something 
that I, I synthesized for HR, but is drilled into your head when you are in paramedic school is how to address every situation that you come across. Because when you arrive on scene, it may be for a heart attack. It could be for one of my favorite calls ever. Someone called 911 because there was a bird stuck in their house. Uh, so <laughs> we had to like make this makeshift net to help get this bird out of the house. Uh -uh. Uh, yeah, it, it's people call 911 for some pretty interesting things. Um, and then, you know, you also respond to more serious uh cases like uh, car accidents and things like that. So again, you, you can't be an expert in all those different types of responses, even bird control. Uh, so you have to apply a kind of a consistent method. And so I use the acronym when I would speak to HR professionals, ADP, just to help them uh, memorize it pretty easily. And so it is assess the situation, determine what the needs are, and then the most important part, provide an outcome. And when you arrive on scene as a paramedic, you have to get an understanding, is this scene even safe for me to be here? Uh, because if something happens to me, I can't render uh, or provide help to other folks. Uh, right. And then also get a, a good general idea of, is this bad or is this something that can be treated on scene? So just get a good a theme. And then determine what the needs are. Every patient, every situation has different needs, and some of which a paramedic can provide, others which a surgeon needs to provide. So my providing outcome for that latter part would be getting someone to a surgeon as quick as possible. Uh, but if it is something that I can help deliver on scene, then I will provide that outcome as soon as possible. And so that ADP, that medics method, really applies to any scene that you go to, and it provides that muscle memory you need to become essentially a great problem solver. And again, I, I feel as a business partner, that's my every day is you assess a situation, you know, someone's coming to you complaining about they want new free snacks in the business, or they're upset that those snacks were taken away. So assessing the situation is, okay, this is something that's a bit lighthearted. We can work through this. Uh, let's figure out what the needs are and then provide an outcome. Or you have employees come to you with some very serious concerns. Uh, it may be alleged harassment or some of the things that we see uh, very commonly as business partners in the industry nowadays. And same method applies. Assess that situation. It's a very serious situation. What are the immediate needs? What are the long-term needs? And then we provide that outcome. That's that sounds very interesting. Um, I, in the very beginning, you mentioned that uh, when you're assessing the situation um, as a medic, you know you have to determine whether it's safe for you to be there or not. Um, is there something like that in HR? Where like what situations would you not be safe to be there? Yeah, I, I'll go on, on a bit more of a. A non-physical threat. We'll address some more of the uh, what we call HR landmines. Is you will have employees or managers come to you, and every HR professional listening, I, I'm sure, can think of a scenario where this has happened. And someone asks you a question, and it's posed in a way where you know it's a loaded question. And so, being an HR professional what you do to that question or how you answer that question will carry a lot of weight. And mm. so to me, when you get some of those questions, it's immediate, like, I'm, I'm going to need more time to formulate that. Or I, I don't have the answer to that question right now. Let's, you know, 
percolated on a bit more. And that's an area where I think you have to judge the quote unquote safeness of answering those types of questions and being able to navigate that. And so that's where when you assess that situation, you want to get a good understanding of why the question is being raised or why the challenge exists before you just dive right into problem solving mode. Yeah, interesting. Um, I'm curious as to, I, I think I can imagine maybe one of those questions like asking for personal information about another employee or something like that. Yeah, and certainly you get those. Uh, when is someone being promoted or what did you think of that person's response in the meeting or uh, where's the strategy going? And and one of my favorite red flags is when someone comes and asks you about a really specific policy. Mm. Uh, what does the policy say about X, Y, Z? And that's an unusual <laughs> question where the kind of the hairs on your neck raise up and you're like, well, why? You know, I'll help you understand that policy. That's great. But why <laughs> is that being asked? Yeah, I um. I don't suppose you'd be comfortable giving me a specific example, obviously, without naming names of something like that. On uh, a policy type situation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can give you some general ones that I think are applicable to all of us is when you have someone a come to you, an employee come to you, and they may mention that they're having a tough time with their manager, but they want to see their job description. And I think that that's always... Uh, interesting when someone comes and asks for a specific job description. Typically, when we get those types of questions, it can be either one of two things. They want someone wants to understand where they are in like a career model framework so they can expand their career. Or two, someone is having maybe a tiff with their manager and they want to be able to look at a job description to say, that's not in my job description. Right. Uh, and so I think those are situations where when you're assessing that, why is the question being asked? It's good to maybe get some, some more supporting facts before just giving the job description to someone. Uh, because I, I hate giving raw data to individuals without helping them understand context. Uh, that's a little bit more metrics kind of conversation. But in this case, if uh, the employee is asking for the job description, maybe ask some supporting additional questions that can help you get a fuller picture. Like, yeah, I, I will absolutely get that to you because, you know, you have a right to to see that. Uh, would it help if maybe we go through it together and I can help you understand some points and it could either be a great opportunity to talk about career development or a great opportunity to help an employee work through something with their manager that you may not have full context on. Excellent. Um so it seems like your your system is really designed for crisis management. In, in a way, I, I think that that going back to when you're a medic, uh, the the same methodology can be applied for a bird in the house, which is uh, not necessarily crisis management on our side, uh, but it can also be applied to a mass casualty incident when you arrive on a scene and there's. Uh, 20 individuals that need assistance, that situation is pretty dire. The needs are pretty dire. So to provide an outcome, you're going to need additional help. And so in the workplace, I can look at it not only from handling a, an investigation that you may be going into, but also strategy. Uh, let's talk about headcount. What do we need for the year? Uh, and what types of roles do we need up front? And what type of roles are we going to need in Q4? and then start to provide an outcome. 
Um, so it can be used at a strategic level, but to your point, also be used for crisis management uh, in more tactical situations. I imagine that you know when you were uh, a medic that um, you encounter situations that maybe didn't go the way you want them to, and you know part of being a quick in action means that later on you're going to have to do a lot of decompressing, a lot of post analysis, right? Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that process and how you use that in HR? Yes. A, one of the most challenging parts uh, when you're a first responder is dealing with some of the very human cost and the human tragedy that exists around us every day that most individuals aren't exposed to. And if so, they're, if they are exposed to a tragedy of some sort, it's usually an isolated event in their life where first responders are exposed to these types of issues every single day that they work. And it is incredibly important when you're a medic to recognize that. Mm. And that was something when I first started as a medic, I was, goodness, 19 or 20. And when you're at that particular age in your life, you you tend to feel a little bit invincible. Mm. And so I, I think ignored Uh, the toll that it took on me for some time. And it takes some good mentors in your life. And I had some great ones going through the fire service that said, hey, and I appreciate that you're 20, that you know everything, right? (laughs) But uh, I I need you to come chat with us about how that call went, uh, because that that was pretty tough. And for me, I think some of the, the more difficult situations are when you deal with uh, pediatric patients. Not only is that uh, clinically challenging to manage, but it, it's very difficult yeah. uh, to work through that. And then also uh, for me as well, I was very close with my grandparents. And so anytime I had an elderly patient, I, I just always felt that I was taking care of my grandpa or grandma. And so that was something that I had to decompress afterwards. And, and fortunately, I had great mentors, but we also had a pretty consistent program that if you had a call where there was a death or extreme trauma or domestic violence, uh, there were outlets for you to talk to people afterwards to, to relieve that stress. Um, on the HR side, to, to answer that the second half of that question, uh, when I worked at Remote Medical International, we had a mission that we supplied medical professionals in remote and austere settings around the world. And this was a for-profit company, uh, but that doesn't change necessarily that mission or that impact. And I had a lot of employees in war zones, active war zones. And I very much, I will never forget this call I received around 3 a.m. in Seattle time where I had a employee that was in Afghanistan and they had been a victim of a IED attack. Uh, they were relatively okay, uh, but the way that they described this explosion was that there were um, limbs everywhere. Oh, man. And, and it was shocking to me, one, getting a call that early in the morning is a shock to anyone, uh, but I was her first call, and... I knew I couldn't just punt that to operations like, hey, you need to follow the triage on your call sheet. Like that wasn't a time to start going through policy with someone. Uh, And that was a situation where I needed to to listen 
and, and to be there. And meanwhile, frantically trying to wake people up on, on Slack and on text as I continue to talk to her to get her the tactical help and security she needed. Uh, but afterwards, we made sure that we started implementing a process to provide PTSD counseling uh, for employees, even if they hadn't been through a scenario like that. Any of our war zone bound employees had the option to utilize uh, like an employee assistance program tailored to the situations after they return home. Yeah, it's, uh, it must've been really challenging. I, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about mental health and we talk about PTSD is um, sort of the, uh, what do you call it? The assumption that it has to be wartime related you know, when that in fact represents a very small portion of overall PTSD cases, which means that mm -hmm. your HR professionals probably know people at their office that have PTSD, probably undiagnosed, you know, and that's a situation where you may have never seen it before, just like when you're a medic, if you haven't seen something happen before and you have to encounter it for the first time, you know, that being aware and being prepared can make all the difference as to how that goes down, right? Absolutely. One of the most uh, life-changing classes for me as a medic was a uh, mental health first responder course I went to. And when you're a medic, you, you have to realize like you're not a doctor. And that's really important that you recognize the limits of your clinical care. Right. But you, you need to be an expert at recognizing that something's off and something needs professional help. And I think that still applies to HR professionals. And I, when I was a medic, most of my calls centered around either addiction of some kind, a drug addiction, uh, and or tied directly to mental health issues. And it was eye-opening to me how limited care these individuals get or have access to, or there's a taboo around getting help for these types of issues. And I think having HR professionals have an awareness level of these issues will help deal with them in their workplace and hopefully get their employees the help they need if, if needed. Yeah, another big one. Um, I focused pretty heavily on coverage of this last year in hopes of getting people ready for it is the opioid epidemic. You know, I think there's a misconception that people that are on opioids are, you know, are, they're not, it's not accurate. It's that, they, that there's these sort of low lives that you're not going to really run into in the workplace when in fact, as I'm sure you're intimately aware, it's everyday people, almost always people that had a, an injury, an accident, had some sort of medical procedure, got hooked to the pain medications that that they were given, prescribed, you know, in a very above board kind of way. It's a very subtle process that changes you from being someone that's getting pain help from to being addicted to the pain medication, one that's very subtle and may not be obvious. You know, they then it costs exorbitant amounts of money to get those once you can't get any more scripts, but you're addicted. Then people move on down the road to illicit forms and other forms of opioids, which means that other than how tragic it is, is uh, there's a lot of employees out there that are addicted to opioids. 
and they're in the workplace and they might overdose in the workplace or depending on how far along they are with their addiction they might you know start doing certain things like take stealing stealing um, equipment or materials or missing time or and it's this whole thing that no one really wants to talk about but it's really really important that HR in particular is ready for when that kind of thing happens yeah and I think you hit the nail on the head I mean right now and I would say the vast majority of HR professionals listening, depending on the size of their company, there are current employees struggling with an addiction or mental health issue of some kind and at every organization. And there's varying degrees of that. There's very varying functionality to that. But this isn't very often, this is not a decision an a, a active decision that someone is making in a clear head that they're going to abuse yeah. drugs this is a health issue and to treat it anything other than a true healthcare crisis uh, i think is dramatically underselling the importance of the response that's needed to this and i worked when i was a medic in very affluent areas in in a community and again, most of my calls were opioid related or health, uh, mental health related. It, it doesn't have a socioeconomic class. Right. This applies to anyone. Um, and, and having HR folks, which I think are sometimes nervous of, well, I'm not a medical professional, right? I, I don't want to get involved in something like that. But having people have awareness training around these types of issues, I think is, is key so they can at least recognize and offer the appropriate sources or leave or help that's available to employees, uh, especially without creating that uh, taboo around it, where EAP, if you offer it to employees, there's this, it just feels like apprehension. I don't want to reach out to them because they're going to report back to you and you know tell, them, tell you all my issues. Uh, making sure that we're giving people an accurate description of what EAP is mm -hmm. and how they can utilize it to help them. Was there something when you were there challenges in the HR field that you weren't prepared for when you got there? <laughs> of course, I uh, I think we we all go through that, and that was the same of when I was a medic. I uh, more so when I was a medic because I, I think I was much younger, so I, you have a different mindset when you're 20. Uh, however, when I got into HR, I think it's important to recognize a few things, and and one of my uh, mentors which I'm forever grateful of how much they've influenced my development as a business partner, I uh, would say you need to identify what the business's challenges are and help uh, and adopt them as your own and help them uh, utilize HR tools to achieve their objectives while also being the guardrails for them around policy and around regulations and ethics and things of that nature. Uh, but when I first started in HR, you have this tendency of, oh my gosh, I have all of these bright and shiny HR tools and I must use every single one of them regardless if the business needs it, right? And so I think when I started as a business partner very early on, I, I felt how, mu how much HR stuff can I accomplish versus how can I help the business accomplish more by utilizing surgically uh, HR tools and practices? You know, earlier we were talking about um, 
kind of burnout for for medics um, and how it can take a while to catch up to you uh, but you had a great support system a lot of HR professionals are a HR department of one there really isn't a support system they don't their supervisor might be the CEO um, and just like in the medical field especially in a company that's maybe growing or going through a, a merger or maybe they're dealing with canceling events because of the coronavirus you know these people are under pressure and other than their mental health which is critically important um, the health of the entire business is at stake if that person crumbles or begins to crumble because it doesn't always happen all at once what advice do you have for someone that maybe finds himself in that position I think back to something my professor in medic school said is you always have to remember me, us, them. And what he meant by that is you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of your team. And then you have to take care of your team before you can take care of others. And that that's something that stuck with me. And I will admittedly say that early on in my HR career, I very much focused on the uh, us and them and forgot me. <laughs> and that led to in my mid 20s, uh, I remember going to the hospital because I had ulcers. Mm. And I at that point, I was putting in 100 hour weeks uh, for gosh, I think it was almost three months at that point uh, in a row. And I was surviving on caffeine, uh, Red Bull and coffee and <laughs> and horrible food and it caught up to me and in hindsight always 2020 but one thing that i've really focused on now is you remembering to balance the me us them uh but knowing when to ask for help is key not for just responding to hey now i'm in the hospital i can't do anything <laughs> but before that like if you're doing 100 hours a week you probably need to start advocating to get additional help on your team uh, because that, that you will break at some point. And if you do, you can't serve the business. And sometimes there's crunch time. Yeah. Where we work more hours in a week than others. And like we have to work with those ebbs and flows, but recognizing when it starts to take a toll is key. Because again, if you're the only HR person, it's you're a single point of failure. You need to be very cognizant on taking care of yourself. Uh, that way you can continue to take care of the team and the business. Yeah, it's a great answer. Um, I went through something very similar. Um, for me, it was a panic attack that I thought was a heart attack. You know, I'm only mm. 36 years old and this was maybe like three years ago. Um, but yeah. the symptoms are the same. I mean, I had them all. Yeah. I had the pulsing pain in my arm, my left arm and my back was numb and I was nauseous. And, you know, one of the symptoms, well, you know, of course, is uh, the feeling of impending doom, right? Which yes. I, from a amusing standpoint, I think is probably my favorite symptom because it's so <laughs> out there. I mean, you could feel that anytime for any reason, but I definitely had that, you know, and it was just, um, you know, I've taken a lot of steps since then to, to get better, but it was the same kind of thing. I was just pushing myself way too hard. And yeah. you just think you can just do it forever and you can't. And when it, yeah. when it comes crashing down, it not only was it very expensive 
to, to deal with. I mean, I managed to get myself to the emergency room, but those people charge crazy amounts of money for you to be perfectly okay <laughs> physically, you know? Um, <laughs> it, it is. And, and one point on that is I, I have unfortunately as a medic part of the job is being around people in their final moments and uh before they pass away and i have never and this may sound sarcastic but like this is a very important point i have never been around someone in their final moments and them say gosh i wish i would have worked on powerpoints more or i wish i would have done more transfer forms like never, never have I had that. Every time that I've had in-depth conversations with folks before they pass, which have a really unique perspective on life at that moment, have always said more time with my friends and my family every time. And I, I implore everyone to really take a moment to consider that. And so they focus again on the me Uh and that, that can't be entirely right. Like we still have to deliver on our jobs, but it's so important because I, I totally empathize with your story having been uh, with the ulcers in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah, it's, it's a very eye-opening experience. We'll just leave, sort of leave it at that, you know, mm-hmm. and I know when we're talking about all this, all this medical stuff, you know, this is more of a note to the listeners. It, it's pretty heavy, heavy stuff, but you know, it's also important to remember that these are kinds of experiences that your employees have in their lives, you know, when they're, and they're not necessarily talking about it and it's not visible and obvious. So like, just as you as an HR professional are going through the challenges of your day, it's important to remember that that person sitting in the seat in front of you, who maybe is having a performance issue or something like that also has some, uh, could, could have had all any of those same challenges or, or worse. And I think uh, anyone that previously worked at the company that I am describing where I've had this event, this is probably the first time they've heard of it is, is I was afraid to tell anybody at that point. Cause I'm just like, I can't be seen as someone that is, as I guess, human. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it, employees do an amazing job at hiding these yes. things. And so I think it's on our job to get out there and make sure we're doing what we can. Absolutely. Well, Taylor, thanks so much. It was really enjoyable talking with you. It was great talking with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. You can also reach out to me directly at jdavis at blr.com with any thoughts or concerns, or if you just want to say hi. Uh, we're always interested in any feedback you have. It's really valuable to us. Thanks so much. This is Jim Davis with HR Works. <laughs>